Hey everybody, welcome to Please Be Excited. My name is John, I'm your host. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast about movies and TV shows and whatever we're excited to talk about each week. Uh, Today's episode is going to be a solo episode. I'm talking about David Pryor's The Empty Man. Um, We finished up our run of the podcast episodes before going on break, and like the day after I watched this movie and loved it and nobody else has seen it and I really needed to ramble about it so this episode is a very rambly very caffeinated excited uh just just gushing gushing about the empty man (laughs) because I absolutely love this movie everything about it I think it is incredible and it is very very underseen Um, It came out last year, 2020, and was just dumped in theaters because the studio did not know what to do with it. Um, So didn't make a lot of money, wasn't seen, was kind of panned because it was sold as something else through the trailers. It was sold as like a kind of teen boogeyman horror movie, and that's not at all what it is. It is is strange and unique. It is kind of like a strange uh cosmic horror but feels like a David Fincher movie and I kind of get into all that in the episode uh and I hope I can convince some of you guys to watch it especially this month because it's the best horror movie that I have seen in years um even if it's even if it's a little wonky in parts because of like production reasons and things that happened Um, I still think it's incredible, and I think it is very much worth watching. Highly recommended for for spooky season, if you want to check it out. I watched it on HBO Max. I am hoping it's still up on HBO Max by the time this comes out, but I'm not 100% sure it will be. So if you have that, check for it there first, and if it's not there, then uh, maybe go rent it, I guess. But anyways... Yeah, today's episode is me talking about The Empty Man. I hope you guys enjoy it, and thanks for listening. talking about The Empty Man. I'm talking about The Empty Man. It's just me. Um, If you don't know what The Empty Man is, perfect. Go watch it right now. (laughs) Don't don't listen. Don't watch anything first. Um, The Empty Man is written and directed by David Pryor. It came out in 2020. It was supposed to be a 2019 release. Uh, I'm going to get into like the whole production side of things and everything that happened there, but it is about this former cop played by James Badgedale. Uh, if you don't know who James Badgedale is, he was in, he has like small roles in a lot of stuff. Um, he was in The Departed, he's in like uh, Lone Ranger, he's in Iron Man 3, 
Um, but he like his biggest roles to date, I think, are um, Robert Leckie in The Pacific, in the HBO miniseries The Pacific. And then he had the lead role. I forget, I forget the character's name, but he had the lead role in a uh, AMC TV show called Rubicon, a great, great conspiracy thriller series that had one season because it was just too... <laughs> It was just a little too, uh, I think, slow a pace and like a slow burn and um, wasn't wasn't very like exciting in a uh, typical like action thriller kind of way. It's a very cerebral kind of show, but absolutely recommend checking out Rubicon. It got one season that was canceled, but the first season, the one season is great. Um, so yeah, James Badgedale is the lead in this movie. Uh, he plays a former cop who is investigating the disappearance of a neighborhood friend's uh, daughter, um, like teenage daughter. And he stumbles upon this story of uh, like an urban legend of this supernatural entity called the Empty Man. Don't worry if you're thinking this is just going to be like uh, and like a boogeyman, um, I don't, I didn't watch that Bye Bye Man movie, but a lot of people expected this to be that, so if you're thinking, oh, there's some, you know, stupid monster that's just gonna, like, pop out every five minutes, it's not the case, uh, especially if you watch the trailer, because it was sold as, like, a teenage thriller slasher kind of thing from the trailers, not at all that. Um, but yeah, it follows this cop who's investigating the uh, disappearance of this teenage girl. And he finds out that there is this um, this kind of like cult in the area that's been like moving through, uh, I guess like the United States, but um, like a lot of the world uh, over the years. They've had different places where they set up and like people die and all this stuff, but they are established now in St. Louis, Missouri, and they're called the Pontifex Institute, and it is very much a cult. It is, they recruit these young people and indoctrinate them, and uh, you don't really know what their, uh, what their goal is, but you find out as James Badgedale's character investigates. So, uh, First off, I wanted to say, oh, it also has Steven Root. If you don't know <laughs> Steven Root's name, you know him from many things. He's Milton in Office Space. He's in uh, Barry. He's in, God, he's in too many things to this. He's in, like, True Blood. He's in probably over 100 credits on IMDb, I would, I would assume, because the guy is just uh, an incredible actor who is also one of those like actors who takes mostly supporting roles but just comes in and nails it and just outclasses like everybody else on screen <laughs> in in one scene um but yeah it has james badgedale steven root and it's this creepy movie uh i wanted to say like if i could make comparisons to other stuff um 
it would definitely not be like teenage thriller stuff or slasher stuff that's if you go watch the trailer after you listen to me talk about this you're going to think it's one of those movies the marketing was very misleading it is not at all that type of movie it was sold as that type of movie uh, because the studio did not know what to do with this thing so they just dumped it threw out this crappy trailer and thought they could lure in people with a misleading trailer um but yeah, I, I remember the other day I was reading uh, reading about it and somebody online, I forget who wrote the article, but they said uh, they've been comparing it as like, or uh, pitching it to friends as like the girl with the dragon tattoo and the ring, um, specifically like David Fincher's dragon tattoo. That kind of nails it. <laughs> um, I did not know... Who this guy was, David Pryor, the writer-director, never heard of this guy, um, did not know him, didn't know anything he did, and yeah, didn't recognize the name, so after I watched the movie, uh, actually Grace and I watched half of the movie, I should say, it's a little long, it's, uh, it's like two hours and 16 minutes, I think is the runtime, um, so it's a little bit long. And we started it one night, and I was like, I, we had watched Malignant. I convinced Grace to watch Malignant uh, whenever that came out. And that was something I was like, oh, James Wan, you know, it's going to be this horror movie. I kind of like James Wan stuff, I think, so, you know, this will be good. Uh, <laughs> Malignant, as you can tell if you listened to the last episode, um, I hated and I thought it was very, very dumb in a bad way, not in a fun way. I know lots of people enjoyed it like that. But it was a very divisive film, and I felt kind of like I let down Grace in recommending this movie. We watched this movie. And I had this, I had a good feeling about The Empty Man, even though I heard, again, I was like, oh, it's a divisive horror film. I've heard people say that, sucks or it's amazing and that's kind of the reaction that malignant had recently and um and so i kept telling grace like you know i really wanted to watch this movie and i was like hey do you want to watch a dumb movie because i'm trying not to like oversell it trying to just be like casual this this isn't really going to be a good movie i think i was also trying to like keep my expectations low uh coming in because i really didn't know what to expect um but the director, David Pryor, like I was getting to, uh, we watched an hour and 25 minutes of the movie. Both of us were absolutely hooked. Just, we were hooked. Grace was doing homework, and Grace was, like, not doing homework. Grace was, like, full-on watching the movie. She's usually very, uh, you know, head down, does, does her work. She'll, like, look up at the TV every now and then when I'm watching something I'm interested in. Um, it very rarely, like, draws Grace in. Uh, both of us were just totally hooked, like, from the beginning of this movie. Um, and we stopped an hour, at an hour and 25 minutes in, um, so we still had, like, 50 minutes left, and 
I very much wanted to finish it that night because it was like late, it was dark, it was creepy, it was all working for me. Um, but Grace was very tired and had uh, school in the morning. So we went to bed. I couldn't stop thinking about the movie. Um, so I was like, all right, well, I have all these feelings about this movie. Like, I'm going to look up who this guy is. And <laughs> it looked like, I, I believe his only credits to date are like, uh, a short film, which I have not watched, I've heard it's very, very good, called uh, AM 1200, I think is the name, um, which it looks like you can watch it all on YouTube, um, but I'm very interested in watching that, have not gotten to it yet, uh, but his only other credits that I could see were him doing, um, filming, like, special features for DVDs. And I had this feeling, you know, this feels like a David Fincher thing. Um, and then I go look at his IMDb, and he's done, like, all the special features for, like, all of David Fincher's movies going back to Panic Room. So if you've, if you've watched, um, like, Panic Room, uh, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, Social Network, Dragon Tattoo, um, this guy, like, directed all of the behind-the-scenes special features and like designed um I don't know how how involved he was in designing like the actual like DVD menus and stuff but it sounds like that's kind of what the guy did uh over the years on like a lot of uh a lot of films where he would just get sent like stuff to compile and edit and uh build the like DVD offerings um but yeah, I was like, oh, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. This guy has worked closely with David Fincher uh, in this capacity for like 20 years or however long. So uh, absolutely, yeah, the Fincher vibes are very strong in this movie. And another thing I would compare it to, um, at least for me, I don't really think I've seen a lot of people talk about this or mention it, but it kind of feels like uh, season one of True Detective to me, but if it went into that supernatural place. Because if you, if you didn't watch True Detective when it came out, everybody was freaking out week to week, like, oh God, there's you know an actual monster. Oh, there's gonna be some big reveal. They're gonna go to Carcosa. They're gonna like go into this other dimension or something. Uh, or like, you know, other planet, other world. That's what a lot of people expected from the end of True Detective. They thought it was going to go full, off the deep end, apocalyptic, cosmic horror stuff. Um, and that's kind of what this movie does. <laughs> and yeah, it's really good. And like I said before, the trailer is incredibly misleading. It is a um, methodical kind of like a noir investigative detective story. Um, it really did remind me a lot of David Fincher's Dragon Tattoo because you're just kind of like seeing a guy work the case from every angle. He's like tracking down every lead he can. He's, um, and he's getting into some like pretty weird, messed up stuff. Um, but he's also like you can feel him, like, unraveling over the, the course of the story. And, um, 
another thing I would say is, uh, that's kind of important to it is like, it establishes this thing of, you know, the empty man is this in the story set up at the beginning. Um, well, the beginning, they actually have a, uh, like a full on prologue that is just bonkers and so good that I did not know about. Um, really, I would rather not tell you about, but there is like a long, maybe 15 minute prologue that, uh, does not have like any, uh, any of the main characters from the movie in it, uh, it takes place way before, um, it's very interesting, totally caught me off guard because I had not seen anybody talk about it, um, it's, I don't think it's shown at all in the trailer, maybe like one shot from it or something, or two shots, I think, um, but yeah, coming into the movie thinking it's just like this detective in Missouri tracking down stuff has a very, very strong prologue, uh, that I think does a great job of establishing, like, the tone and what the movie's going for, and, uh, I think that's really what drew Grayson and me, um, just in from the beginning, but the movie, uh, has moments that it does have moments where it feels like it's playing into um into like the slasher genre like there are a couple murders where it is very much like slasher stuff and it also <laughs> it also reminded me of like giallo stuff um italian horror stuff uh that i mentioned with malignant that was definitely like an inspiration for malignant and i definitely feel like David Pryor was aware of that and, um, kind of using it for, like, specific shots and scenes at different moments, um, but yeah, the whole thing feels very, very, it's just very eerie, very creepy, very unsettling, um, doesn't have, like, a lot of jump scare stuff, it's just, like, uh, it's just, like, uncomfortable kind of unnerving creepy stuff that it just totally nails throughout the whole movie um but the movie does start out in this um once it gets past that prologue it starts out in this in this setting where i think if it didn't have that prologue you would you would assume that this is going to be like a teenage um teenagers go missing and there is like a boogeyman thing um so i i feel like if they didn't have that prologue, that's what you would assume, because there's, like, an urban legend that if you go to a bridge at night and you, like, blow on a bottle and do this whistle, um, that, like, somebody's gonna, like, whistle back, and then the empty man will find you and kill you, basically, after three days. Like, um, I, th I forget what it, what it is. It's, like, first you see him or like first you feel him or then you see him or something and then he takes you or something I forget what the exact um wording is but it's it's supposed to take place like over the course of three days and uh they do a really good job in the prologue of establishing that like it it has big title cards that say day one day two day three and they kind of establish um, like, the signs and patterns to look for throughout the film, but they just, you know, condense it down into, like, a 15-minute segment, so 
for the next two hours, you can look for those specific things um, over the course of the film, and it's going to, like, reverberate and, uh, like, creep you out because you're going to know, oh, that's that's what happened to these people in the beginning at that, you know, specific moment whenever this thing happened, and uh, they get to drop it in there. But, anyways, I'm very caffeinated, if you can't tell. Um, oh, boy. Um, so... I wanted to, I guess, get into the story a little, a little bit more, and then I'll probably get into, like, uh, issues that I had with the film, um, and I'll talk about the production, but James Badgedale plays this character, uh, named James LaSombra, who is a former cop, and you get the sense that, I don't know, I feel like this is definitely a movie I need to go rewatch. Especially once you get to the ending, I'm like, oh shit, I gotta go back and rewatch this. And like, especially reading interviews with the director, um, different things that I missed and stuff that I've been thinking about and putting together because it's just like so full of um, of like symbolism and uh, you know very layered um, details and stuff that that like call like callbacks throughout the entire film and uh things that are related to other things and it's just like chock full of that stuff so there's just like so much to pull apart with this movie i definitely need to go rewatch it but um he's like he's taking some kind of pills he's uh having nosebleeds and stuff like this so i'm not quite sure what that's about <laughs> yet um, I think, I think I know what it is, and I don't really want to spoil it, um, but I feel like, God, I feel like the movie does a great job of just not really hammering you over the head with, um, specific meaning for a lot of things. The, the director has talked about how basically, like, the big point, the big theme of the movie is ambiguity, like, um, I don't think he's even, like, given a detailed answer on... Uh, what the meaning really is at the end of the movie, or, like, what, what exactly happens at the end of the movie. Um, and it was intentionally, very intentionally created that way. You know, some movies you'll watch and you'll just be like, oh, this is a fucking mess, they threw this together, whatever. This is, like, a very precise, very exact uh, story that I think there's tiny spoilers here, there's a very big twist at the end of the movie. And the twist kind of um, makes you, <laughs> makes you like, second-guess everything. And it makes you, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? I cannot, cannot think of the word that I need. But uh, it's, it's a twist that makes you need to, like, go back and rewatch the whole thing. Um, uh, I, I hate that I'm forgetting this word. Anyways, the twist totally, like, changes your understanding of what's happening. So, it, I feel like it is a movie that needs to be watched again. Um, Reevaluate. <laughs> that's, that's the word I was looking for. The twist makes you reevaluate everything that you've seen up to that point. 
Um, but anyways, the, yeah, the director very intentionally made a film about ambiguity, and that's, like, the point of the big reveal, um, towards the end. But, uh, yeah, James Lasombra, this detective, um, has a, uh, had a wife and a son, they died in a tragic accident, um, and his neighbor has a teenage daughter, and, uh, the neighbor's husband died a few years ago, um, and then the daughter goes missing, and there's a bloody finger-painted sign on the bathroom mirror that says, the empty man made me do it. So, he starts tracking down any leads he can, he starts, um, he starts, like, interviewing her school friends and all this stuff, and he finds out that, uh, a couple days ago, they, they did, like, whistle in the bottle on the bridge and, like, summon the empty man, and, um, that's kind of, like, what the movie starts out as. So you think, okay, it's gonna be this creepy, you know, slasher kind of thing of a boogeyman hunting down these kids. Very much like The Ring, uh, with, with the character from, the girl from The Ring, you know, after you watch the tape, seven days later you're dead. Uh, it very much has that feel because it has, like, a time limit, um, hanging over characters' heads. And I think, yeah, the, the main character, James Lasombra, you know, not really thinking much of it, does, does the whistle on a bridge thing, and, and then the movie starts with, like, the title cards of day one, day two, day three, as he kind of, like, his, um his mental health kind of, like, slowly unravels, and he becomes, like, more paranoid, and it becomes kind of like a conspiracy thriller thing of, like, um, like, who's behind this stuff, and who's, like, who's fucking with me, who's, um, who can I trust, you know, especially while there, while there is, like, the actual police investigation going on, so, like, his paranoia, like, keeps going up with every, uh, piece of information he finds out. It eventually leads him to this place called the Pontifex Institute, which is this um, organization that very much is a cult led by Stephen Root. And he finds out that, like, uh, all the kids that have gone missing um, had, like, files there, and the neighbor girl had a file there, and... Um, and the leader is just talking about this really weird shit, uh, which I don't really feel, uh, I don't think I'm quite up to, like, breaking all of that down. It's something that I feel like you can, uh, meet, for me specifically, it's something I feel like I can grasp while I'm watching the movie, but God, once it, once I have to, like, have a discussion about it, I'm just, like, so out of my depth. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's what's, like, going on. There's some weird shit with this cult. Uh, I don't know exactly how much I want to say, but it's kind of like this cult is, um, trying to use the power of, like, um, the power of, like, thought into manifesting this being, this, like, cosmic being, 
um, that we don't, you know, we don't know what it's trying to do. Uh, but yeah, very big ideas, very big, <laughs> very big themes and stuff going on. Um, and I feel like I'm just going to leave it there, uh, as far as story details go. Um, well, I might pick some of that stuff up with, uh, with my, uh, negatives on the movie, but, um, I'll just jump into negatives real quick. There's, there's a few things that I feel like are, uh, a little, I don't know. Uh, it just, it just felt a little, uh, messy, I guess. Um, I can't think of a better word. Um, which once you find out the behind the scenes dealings with production and yeah, it all fits into place. Um, so I think the movie works for me on a story level all the way through. Uh, there's like a big reveal, big stuff towards the end that I think works on a story level. I don't think the execution, like the actual film technical execution of it totally works. Um, I think it gets like really sloppy and I just want to say like the director went through a lot of shit making this movie <laughs> and I'll like, I'll get into the details a little bit more, but basically he was rushed to create a cut of the movie for tax rebate purposes for the studio. So he's said in interviews that he has like a cut that he would, um, that would be like six minutes shorter, I think, which six minutes in a movie is a big difference. Um, there's so much, so much stuff that you can get rid of so much that you can just like change the, uh, um, intentions of scenes and shots and stuff like that. So that's a really big difference. Uh, he was kind of forced into rushing this edit of the film. Um, so, yeah, I don't really want to fault him uh, that it kind of has a messy ending. Um, but <laughs> there is there is a plot line that I will say spoilers here. Um, there is a plot line that runs through the entire film that I think is like very well handled up until the end. And it is the fact that James Badgedale's character had an affair with the mother of the missing girl. And he had this affair the night that his uh, wife and son died in a car accident. And it's kind of like why they died. Like, you know, he wasn't there. Uh, and the mom was distracted with dealing with the boy while while driving. So like, you know, he totally blames himself. The mom kind of blames herself. The, uh, the mom that he had the affair with. Um, and it's this thing that's kind of like pieced together throughout the entire film. Like little hints are dropped, little shots here and there. Uh, like he, like he has nightmares and you'll see like quick flashes of it and just like, um, pieces of conversations between them. You kind of just like, into it what happened and like from the context and stuff and I think it handles it very very well and then at the end which like the entire end I'm just gonna say is like kind of rushed and sloppy um and at the end it has this like really big different 
kind of feeling um, than the rest of the movie for me, where it's been this very like precise, methodical, um, structured, I don't know, it's just like, it's, it's nailed it with just like the editing, the storytelling, everything. And towards the end, they just do this like big reveal um, with the character, but also this specific piece of information. They do this big reveal about the affair and what happened that night that I felt like was totally out of place for the rest of the movie. Like, it just, it felt like I got everything already up until that point uh, with the affair. And I didn't, I really didn't feel like it was necessary to have like a prolonged um, scene, like spelling it out piece by piece. Just, um, it just felt very unnecessary. I felt like the, I felt like it was very like antithetical to the entire movie up till that point. Cause it felt, it felt like it wasn't a movie, you know, it's, it's a movie that doesn't really hit you over the head with things. I don't think, I feel like you have to kind of piece things together a lot of the time. Um, and then the, the whole ending is kind of that way where it, it just like spells everything out for you. Um, which I feel like with the bigger, uh, story and bigger meaning in the, in the film, like maybe that was necessary. I thought that it could have been a little more subtle, um, on both accounts with the, uh, empty man storyline and like the affair storyline. Um, so that's, that's really my big negative with the movie there were other things that I was kind of, like, iffy on throughout the film um, that I think the reveal at the end of the film kind of uh, put all of the pieces in place for me, so they're not quite as um, iffy, I guess. They're, you know, um, I feel like they're a bit more... Um, I feel like they have more purpose. I feel like once you get to the end of the film, uh, I feel like you'll, you know, you'll either love it, hate it, or not care, whatever, but I feel like some issues you may have had throughout the film will make sense, um, and I, for that reason, I'm, like, very impressed with the writing and the filmmaking, um, because everything in this film feels so finely crafted and like honed in on what they wanted to do, what the intention was. Um, and yeah. And so that's, that's where like the sore spots stick out for me, um, is all the stuff that I just said, but throughout the film, there are a couple, uh, couple things that aren't like story related or writing related um, they're more on like a technical filmmaking level that felt off with the rest of the film to me, like stylistically, aesthetically and stuff like that. Um, they just felt a, a little bit off to me. And again, I, you know, I'm not sure how much blame to like place on the director really. Like I, I have so much praise for him, so much praise for this movie. So, you know, 
it's I guess it's fine to have a little bit of a criticism um, for for the director for the film, but there's just so much behind the scenes stuff that happened with this movie that it's hard to like you know know who to assign blame to really, and I. Um, with how measured and precise the rest of this film is, I kind of am hesitant to um, really assign blame to the director on a lot of things. Um, so I, I think I'm just going to like get into some, some of the production side of things now. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in that, um, great. I, I just wanted to say like this is, this is like my favorite horror movie I've seen in a very long time. So highly recommend it if you just want to go watch it now and come back and listen to the the production struggles and stuff like that. Um, then, yeah, I recommend doing that. I recommend avoiding the trailer until after you've seen the movie and then you can just be like, what the fuck was this trailer? Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll get into the like production side of things now. So, uh, the, the movie is based on a comic book. I forget the, the writers and the artists for the comic book. I apologize. Um, but it's based on this comic book called the empty man. That is like a really big, uh, so, <sighs> Okay, so The Empty Man is based on a comic book. I forget who wrote it, um, but it's this comic book that's like, from what I know about it, have not read it, it's this very big, like, apocalyptic, um, like, America is in ruins kind of thing of, like, um, I, I feel, I think the Empty Man thing is supposed to be, I, I really don't know, it's supposed to be like a virus kind of thing that's passed between people and um, nobody really understands what it is, but like I think it's uh, kind of like torn America apart and it's just like a full-on apocalyptic mode at this point. Uh, that is not what the movie is. <laughs> the movie is like a very... Um, very early on, it feels like, uh, if that were to happen, and you can definitely, towards the end of the movie, you can definitely see that, like, oh, that's, that's what could happen. Like, it could be this cult, this group of people, uh, with their ideology and, like, whatever their intention is, you can definitely see it leading to something like that, or, like, see it leading to, uh, the apocalypse, so that's kind of, I think, where the film, like, ends off. And the film starts um, with kind of, like, the the seed or the, you know, germ um, uh, of that kind of idea. And I think it's, I think it's much more interesting that way. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's based on this comic directed by, it's directed by David Pryor, also written by him. Uh, it, I think it went into production in 2017, um, and, <laughs> yeah, so it, it went in, I think it went into production in 2017, um, 
for some reason I'm not oh I think it I think it's the tax rebate there was like a big tax rebate thing on filming in South Africa so it's very bizarre <laughs> uh that you're watching this film set in Missouri that was filmed in uh South Africa and then they did exterior shots in I think Chicago so none of it is in Missouri. As far as I know, none of this movie is in Missouri, even though it takes place in Missouri. Um, honestly, I could not tell. I definitely thought it was Missouri or somewhere like Missouri adjacent. Um, but they, yeah, they shot a lot of the movie, most of the movie in South Africa in 2017. And then all they needed was, like, some pickup shots, um, like, exterior stuff in uh, Chicago. And I don't know what exactly happened with the timing, the uh, scheduling, but apparently they, like, scouted for fall in Chicago and, like, planned on fall. And, you know, the director said that his ideal um, look and feel would be, like, very moody, downcast, uh, like, barren trees with no leaves and, like, rainy and um, stormy and stuff like that. And, and that's, like, what they... Um, that's what they... Location scouted, and I guess, like got but then they got delayed and coming back to shoot it or something until winter or late fall or something I forget exactly when um so they came back to shoot and all they had was snow it was just like a couple feet of snow <laughs> so they're like all right well this is all unusable because it doesn't match any of the rest of the film so they shut down production and in the time that they shut down production, um, the uh, Disney, the Fox-Disney merger started to happen. Also, the executive, I forget the guy's name, but the executive on the film from Fox um, was, I think, let go from Fox. And he had been, like, the one championing the film. He was the one that was, like, in their corner and had it all going. And was, like, very excited for the movie. So, yeah, so this big uh, change happened with the Fox-Disney merger. Um, and then their guy, the one that was rooting for him and, like, putting it all together. Hey, Millie. Millie just hopped up in my lap. Uh left the studio so they had nobody that was like fighting for them to get this movie made they did not have any of their exterior shots or anything like that outside that they really need and you need to make this movie work it like it cannot work without that stuff after seeing it um so so from what i read it sounds like the director and some people in the film kind of like worked on uh, worked on different like previs and visual effects stuff over like 
the course of half a year, and then finally, um, finally in uh, late um, late twenty eighteen, got to shoot all of the exterior stuff that they needed. So they were finally able to like finish up shooting for the movie. And, um, and then I think it was early, uh, 2019, once they finished shooting, then they were just rushed, rushed, rushed into, uh, into like testing the movie and all this stuff because for whatever reason, now there was suddenly they finished filming it and now there was all this movement on the film and the director was very, very against test screening because he knew it was not in a place where it should be test screened. Um, it was very early in the post-production process. Uh, they didn't have like finished visual effects. They didn't have, they didn't have everything edited. They didn't, you know, have scenes cut that they really needed to cut. So the edit of the film that they put in the test screening was two hours and 40 minutes long. And, <laughs> and the final film is two hours and 16 minutes long. And the director says that even off of that, he wants to cut, um, like six minutes and make it two hours and 10 minutes long, I guess. So lots of excess in this test screening. Uh, and he said that David Pryor said that, um, he went into the test screening feeling like awful about the film, feeling like it was going to be, you know, savaged and torn apart by, uh, the audience and stuff. And, um, and he, he said he recalled like watching the test screening happen, happen with other executives and like other producers. Oh, Millie, buddy. Um, other producers on the film, and they were all like having a good reaction. They were they were kind of like pleasantly surprised that the audience was like laughing at the right jokes. They were like gasping at the at big reveals. They were jumping in the seats at scary moments. And um and so they were like, oh, this, like they were encouraged with that test screening. And then test screenings come along with uh, scorecards and they got very very low scores on the film which just kind of goes to show you that audiences don't totally know what they like or what they want or like how to talk about a movie um, it's just a thing that is kind of like accepted common knowledge is like you can have a great test screening and then for some reason after the movie's over the audience will just turn on your movie when it comes to scoring it uh and it's the case with a lot of films that's what happens and they just get uh misunderstood and torn apart and then the audience or the uh studio completely loses faith uh because of negative test screening scores so uh it got very negative scores after having a positive test screening which just whatever how does that make sense so the studio freaked out. They put together a 90-minute cut of the film from some outside source um, 
David Pryor, the director, was not at all involved in this 90-minute cut. They screened that, and uh, he didn't say what the test scores were for his cut. Um, they were in the double digits, so whatever that means. Um, but apparently the test scores for this 90-minute studio cut were in the single digits, and they were very low. So all of a sudden after having this negative test screening experience and having the movie, like, taken away from him, um, all of a sudden they're like, okay, fine, you can do the movie, the cut that you want, because obviously yours is going to be received better, but you have to deliver it, like, now. Because due to them filming in South Africa, they got these, like, huge tax rebates, so they had to submit, like, a final cut of this movie um in order for it to in order for the studio to get those rebates so uh the director i'm not totally sure on the timeline here but from what i read in interviews with him it sounded like he either in the course of a day or in the course of like a couple days had to deliver a cut from two hours and 40 minutes down to two hours and 16 minutes, which is not the intended theatrical release. That was not his intention. Like it was just supposed to be a cut that he delivered in this very small time frame to please the studio to get this tax rebate. And then, you know, he would make his cut the shorter cut. Uh, so after he did that, apparently there was just like silence on the studio's part they did not really communicate with him. Uh, they did not communicate with him about marketing or anything like that. Um, it's I guess it's a thing in uh, contracts that the term is uh, meaningful consultation. Whenever you're like a director on a film, you're supposed to get meaningful consultation or whatever on uh, the marketing of your films. And the director joked that anybody who, you know, has worked in Hollywood knows that meaningful consultation just means meaningless consultation. Because they really just do whatever they want with the marketing of your film. Um, so he did not have a hand in the marketing at all and did not hear anything after he submitted that two hour and 16 cut of the film. And, and, um, the movie was supposed to come out. It had a release date, I think, in late 2019. Uh, and then there was something with, like, the James Bond movie where the studio said they didn't want to put it up against James Bond. And the director was like, okay, I don't really understand. I don't see the crossover appeal, but if whatever you think. And then, um, and then it got pushed. And I think it got pushed because it was, like, going up against another movie. I forget what it was. Um, and they didn't want to, like, challenge that or hurt its chances at the box office. And then it just, like, uh, because of COVID and the pandemic, it was just, like, taken off the calendar completely, I think, as studios tried to, like, restructure their whole release calendar. Um, and then it was pushed to, yeah, so it was pushed to, um, 2020, and it was, it had like a couple dates in 2020. Um, and then from what I understand from these interviews and everything, 
they kind of just like told the director the day before that like the trailer was coming out and that the movie was coming out in like a week or something like that. So they just like totally dumped this movie with like a trailer and a poster like the week before it released in theaters. Uh, and the director actually himself had not seen this like final cut of the movie because he had worked on um, the audio, the the audio mix of the movie separate from the uh, actual film, the actual visuals of the movie and the, that cut. So he had never, he had never seen, the director of this film had never seen his own movie, the final cut of it, until it was in theaters, just dumped into theaters, um, because he had never seen it with the, like, final audio mix and then the final visuals together. So, yeah, the first time this guy saw his own movie was when it was just dumped into theaters by the studio. Um, and it now had is still, like, almost a year later, because this came out um, in late 2020, I feel like it might have been October, um, almost a year later, it still doesn't have a Blu-ray, it got, like, torn apart by critics on its release, um, because the marketing of the movie was selling it as a slasher movie with, like, a boogeyman kind of thing, um, and, yeah, so it was just, like, ravaged whenever it came out, but then it was, like, you know, picked up by people, online, people doing podcasts, people, you know, who make YouTube videos, all that stuff, um, and kind of has now become, like, a cult film, um, so it, it is having, like, a reappraisal, and seems like it's been doing really well with, uh, like, rentals and streaming and everything, uh, so I think the director is hopeful that he will be able to release a uh, director's cut hopefully on a blu-ray eventually i am very hopeful for that i can see just cutting a couple minutes out of this movie cutting like a minute out of this movie even will make a big difference because the the issues i have it have with it personally um are very very minor and they're just like they're just like seconds of footage so i cannot imagine how much leaner this film would feel with six minutes of footage cut um so i think that's really all i have to say on the empty man it is highly recommended i watched it on hbo max um i'm sure it's probably not going to be available on hbo max by the time i put this out but definitely check it out it is a really good one and i think you'll enjoy it and that's The Empty Man. Thank you for listening to me uh, ramble about this movie. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope I've convinced some of you to give this movie a shot. It is just weird and unique and so good. It's one of my favorite movies, just outright movies, that I have seen in a very long time. Um, and if you're coming here after having seen the movie already, then I hope you liked listening to somebody who just love the movie and really wanted to ramble and like share their love for it. Um, so I wanted to give an update on coming back from break. Uh, we're still not exactly sure when we'll be coming back, but if you want to follow us on Instagram 
at Please Be Excited. That's where I will give updates on uh, when we're coming back, and I'll give updates on like what we're recording because we're planning on recording some episodes soon. Um, and I'll like let you guys know exactly what we're going to be talking about and what you uh, can look forward to seeing soon. Um, and also, we are making the switch to video when we come back. So uh, we'll still have the podcast published in audio form on your podcast apps and wherever you listen to it. Uh, but on YouTube at Please Be Excited, however they do their username things, but it's Please Be Excited on YouTube. <laughs> um I have all the other uh, episodes published in audio form, but we will be coming back in video um, once we return. So we're recording on Zoom. That's how we've always recorded the podcast. Uh, that's how we always do it. But we will now be doing video as well for people who want to check it out on uh, YouTube. So if you want to follow us on YouTube, just please be excited. You can find us there. Um, and Instagram at please be excited all one word together that's where i will give updates and keep you informed about when we're coming back um i really appreciate everybody listening and i'm super excited to come back in a bigger way and try some new things uh yeah thanks for listening today uh peace peace out (laughs)